a data-driven approach to reading Plato in prison? What's that all about? Find out on today's episode of the Bending Bars podcast. I want to introduce you to uh, my our producer, our podcast producer. Uh, he is in charge of uh, all of our digital outreach, runs our social media platforms for Bending Bars, uh, and he is my co-host for uh, this season, Harrison Painter. Welcome. Great to have you with us. I am fired up to be here. And, and I'm just, this is going to be, this is going to be a lot of fun. It absolutely is. And so, hey, great to have you with us, Harrison. Um, we're also excited today. And, and I know I've talked a, a lot about Daniel. You've had a chance to meet him. And uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to have Mr. Daniel Camacho back with us. Daniel is currently uh, one of our instructors in the civics education program out at South Bay Correctional. Uh, he's teaching some of our literature courses. But uh, hey, Daniel, so great to have you with us. Welcome aboard. No, thank you to be here. It's very exciting. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. What I thought we would do, Daniel, is uh, just talk a little bit about yourself, uh, get to know you on uh, today's podcast episode, uh, a bit about your background, your, your love for education, uh, how you kind of you know, got acquainted with the civics education program, and uh, just tell our, our listeners all about you. Right. So um, I um, graduated from Florida Atlantic University. Um, I got my bachelor's in political science. That is when I came across um, Dr. Rosa and, and you, Jim. And through that program um, in my undergrad, I was able to get my feet wet in correctional education. Um, I throughout my you know high school years, I was always fascinated with political science, but never really had one issue that I wanted to focus on. Um, but through you know, the mentorship of Dr. DeRosa and, and of you, Jim, and actually going to the prison, I, I really got my feet wet and was able to uh, experience um, firsthand what kind of criminal justice reform is really about and what we're trying to do. Um, then I got into my master's and I started to get even more developed into the education aspect of it. Um, I had many opportunities to lecture in front of um, hundreds of freshman students, and I think my love of education started there. Um, today, I am a high school teacher at Miami Arts Charter. Um, I now get to hear myself talk uh, most of the day, um, and it's really, really exciting. Um, not only do I get to do that, but I get to spend my Monday nights uh, at South Bay um, focusing on correctional education. Um, through Dr. DeRosa, I really learned a lot about the intricacies of the criminal justice system, right? Especially, especially the correctional aspect of it. Um, and undoubtedly the correction aspect of it, right? The, the label of an inmate or inmates or prisoners or criminals um, has always had a horrible connotation to it, right? They, to most, you know, people out there, they're the scum of the earth and actually getting to meet them, actually getting to talk to them, and understand that they've made horrible mistakes in their life and they all acknowledge that but at the same token also acknowledge that they're human beings also acknowledge that um, they have a desire to be better and so uh, the opportunity to help them through this journey right through education as this vehicle of rehabilitation it's absolutely a privilege and um, 
it is truly an honor to be able to do this, to talk to them and to, and to make an impact. Uh, I remember the first time I was there, uh, the warm welcome I got was something I don't think I ever experienced in my life. Um, I did this, uh, I did this presentation on the fourth amendment and the welcome I received from the inmates was absolutely unbelievable. They made a line to say hello to me. Mind you, at the time I was like 20 years old. So this was, you know, absolutely insane to me. Um, but as I started to get more developed, more involved in the program, um, I understood truly the value of uh, correctional education. So you're currently uh, a high school teacher, and then you spend your Monday evenings volunteering your time to go out to South Bay Correctional. Uh, you drive from your home, North Miami, all the way out to South Bay, which is what, about an hour and a half one way to go behind the scenes and to just do a deep dive right in, into into literature, into some of the great classics with, uh, with the inmates. Hey, have you shared with your high school students uh, what you do, that you have this, you know, sort of secondary part of your life whereby you volunteer and, and kind of go into a prison and, uh, and in, are involved in this education program? Yeah, absolutely. I say that the very first day. Um, I tell them that they don't scare me, that uh, I actually teach inmates. So this is a piece of cake for me. Um, and yeah, I do definitely tell them what I do, what I believe in. Um, it creates a sense of camaraderie. They, they admire it now. I think we're at a point, um, in, in society where we're starting to take another look at, you know, correction, correctional education. We're starting to take another look at, um, people that instead are, you know, going to be the scum of the earth. We see them more as people that need help. And I'm very surprised that the younger generations, right, kids that are 14, 15 years old, um, are really scared um, and outraged that I go to a prison. Um, and they more see it as a point of admiration. And I think that's that's very telling. Yeah, I'm sure it is. And it must be kind of a, an interesting thing as you as you share with them, you say, listen, I'm not, I'm not scared of you yeah. guys. Right? You're talking to these high school kids. And uh, that th you bring up, though, Daniel, um, this this shift that's taking place. Why do you think, just generally speaking, there is so much? Um, uh, there's a sense in which our society does kind of forget about. So we lock them up, we kind of throw away the key. We never have this sense of understanding that hey, ninety five percent of these men and women are coming back to our communities. Um, I guess, number one, why do you think that's the case? But then secondly, um, using your conversation with your students as, as a great example, how do you think that maybe narrative shift is, is beginning to take place? And are you seeing that uh, maybe a positive shift is taking place? Right. I think with um, there's a myriad of factors that has led to um, inmates and quote unquote convicted criminals, um, a lot has led them to have this certain image. Um, mo most of it is obviously, um, it's obviously guaranteed, like it's, it's warranted, but um, with things like the media, with um, portrayals of major cases, right? We as a society almost become to a point vindictive of, of our, our felons. And I think a lot of times, we have this mentality of let's put them away and throw away the key. Um, 
right? A lot of us, a lot of us have family members or no friends that have been, you know, victims of a crime and we feel nothing but sympathy and we wish nothing but the worst on those who hurt our loved ones. And that completely makes sense. Um, but I think with things like the media and, you know, high profile cases, it's almost dialed up to a hundred to where we as a society are, are seeking, um, the biggest punishment, the best punishment. Um, um, but as we see the effects of over-incarceration, right, we see kind of the systematic failures of our criminal justice system. And I think also a lot of media has, the media has to do with it where uh, a lot of prisoners are given a second chance. And, and I really see that with these 14, 15 year olds. Um, I don't see it a lot with adults, right? Adults, they come with this, mindset that we need to be vindictive we need to give them the highest punishment right put them away throw away the key uh but these kids are seeing a different story right they they've been told that you know our population is over incarcerated they've been told that you know there are major systematic problems and and it's seen as a good deed and i think they do realize and this is what i say every time i go look the reason why I do this is because 95%, just like you said, Jim, 95% of these people are going back into our communities. So we have an incentive to rehabilitate, to change hearts and minds, because the, these people are part of our society. And if we continue to reject them, it only fuels this vicious cycle um, and this revolving door of uh, federal and state um, corrections. That is interesting. So what you're saying is, Whereas adults might have a much may take a much hard, you know harder stance, you're saying as you as you share this with 14 and 15 year old students in high school doing what you do uh, out at uh, South Bay that they seem to have if you will a softer spot for um, you know just recognizing hey you know people uh, sadly made the worst possible decision most likely on the worst day of their lives um, no really need to condemn them for it, you know, longer than, uh, the system condemns them for us, you know, as for that, as they, uh, as they serve their time. But what you're telling me is you're seeing in, in sort of the next generation, uh, kind of a softness for, okay, you know, that happens. We should be more welcoming and open and reach into facilities like South Bay and offer these educational programs. That's just a really interesting, yeah, no. you know, yeah, comparison. Definitely. And I, I think I also, I know quite a bit of people that also come in with this preconceived notions of inmates and convicted felons. And I have a couple of stragglers that just plainly, plainly ask me why, right? Most people, you know, see it in, you know, or admire me for my, my work or my, belief in social justice but others say why 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 spend your time doing that and i get an opportunity in all my classes to talk about this idea that it's almost our duty or responsibility to rehabilitate people right at the end of the day we're one community and they will return and um all this does by not rehabilitating by not changing hearts and minds all this does is create more problems in our society we see more increases in crime and we just see a vicious cycle manifest itself while victims continue to be hurt and felons continue to find themselves in the worst possible situation. No doubt I want to touch it. on a quick topic ahead, of, of, of what he said, because I think this is a very important topic. 
in the fact that people are redeemable. The, the current system kind of pushes people just through, right? We warehouse, you hear words like, oh, they're just a bunch of animals. But the thing that I want to really touch on that, that Daniel said was the fact that 95% of these folks are coming back into the community. And a lot of the current programs that are out there give these folks the training to get a job. But what we're doing is taking it that extra step so they understand mindset, citizenship, rights, responsibilities. So could you guys talk a little bit about the, the difference between just getting out and getting job ready and actually being ready to become a citizen and understanding how important that is? Absolutely. Yeah. So as, as you know, South Bay has a number of vocational training programs um, whereby the guys can go through all sorts of, you know, learning of the trades. Uh, you can get your CDL driver's license. You can learn carpentry, welding, uh, heating and air conditioning, uh, a number of skills, which is fantastic. Uh, and, and actually, we promote that. We, we tell the guys in our classes, listen, no matter where you are on the spectrum of your sentence, make sure you're availing yourself of all of these educational opportunities. You know, if you're not handy, obviously, you know, don't, don't go into carpentry or HVAC. But anything else that you think you can learn from all of these other skills, go for it 100 percent where we come in and where we're uh, different, but also you know, complementary, where we see ourselves as an asset to South Bay and, and to really any other prison education program is that by instilling within them, uh, if you will, a robust understanding of basic civics, basic you know, responsibilities and rights and duties, as you said, Harrison, and the interplay between rights and duties, what we're essentially telling them is that even though at a point in their lives, they might have, you know, by way of their actions, gone against, you know, sort of the social contract that we all live in, uh, that we're all supposed to, all, you know, the rules, the laws that we're supposed to abide by, even though they went against that system, now they have an opportunity, a privileged opportunity to understand, maybe for the first time in their lives, the rationale of that system. And see, that's where, as I say, a robust civics education makes all the difference because so many of them have told us, and Daniel, you've seen this in their papers, uh, you know, final essays, conversations, you know, with us that, you know, had they known these kind of core principles via civics and ethics, economics and literature classes, they probably wouldn't have made those mistakes, those decisions that they made that landed them in prison. And so what we're essentially doing is giving them the rationale behind why you have uh, a preeminent duty to respect the rights of others. You wouldn't want it done to your, you know, done to yourself or to your family, the things that you did, those types of transgressions. You know, well, of course not. They would say, well, then once you get out, you have to understand now that this vision of living virtuously, living as a productive citizen on the path to reentry now sets you up for the greatest success possible. And there's this whole, you know, kind of educational program behind it that will give you the necessary tools to be that person, to be the best, you know, you know, father, mother, when you get back out of society, to be the best, whether it's a truck driver, maybe you go back to college, maybe you get into the trades, uh, maybe you go on to become a lawyer, you know, um, you go on to study the sciences, whatever it is, whatever you do, the vision we impart to them through CEP gives them that kind of necessary holistic understanding of what it means to be a citizen who understands the value of government, the 
interplay between rights and duties and why I ought to live, you know, with a much more you know, purified ethical understanding of, of how I now need to treat one another. Right. No, and I would definitely add that um, I definitely have quite a bit of anecdotal evidence where I asked my students um, at South Bay either whether or not they voted um, in their local state elections and nobody brings their hand up. Hand up. I asked them whether or not um, they have um, participated in a town hall meeting. Uh, nobody puts their hand up. I've asked them when we talk about we're reading democracy in America and we talk about all the debates of the Constitution and democracy and how democracy ought to work. Um, I asked them if they've ever wondered this outside of prison. And the answer is overwhelming no. And it's the one common denominator with all of my students, right? We have people from various different backgrounds, right? We have individuals in prison with high levels of education. We have individuals from wealthy families, right? From all colors, from all walks of life. And the one common denominator is this lack of knowledge, this lack of a civic education that may as well um, have saved them in their, in their worst moment. Absolutely. And Daniel, one of the things I wanted you to do as we're talking about transforming the narrative, because now what we're saying through CEP, through Bending Bars and through our mission is that we're taking this, uh, if you will, high level or college level educational program, packaging it in a way that is uh, deliverable to inmate students uh, so that we can bring you mentioned democracy in America, some of the great literary classics uh, into, into their lives and teach them in a way that, that you begin to see this transformation. So it's definitely a, a shift from, you know, just, you know, here, kind of check the box, take this class, you know, out the door you go. What we're talking about is really equipping them to think and to think well about some of these great ideas. And what I wanted you to share with us too, as we're talking about, you know, transforming the narrative, you've seen and experienced transformed lives. And I thought if you could just maybe share with us a couple of those, those examples where you just thought, man, these guys get it, um, it that have powerfully affected you. Uh, right, I think the number one moment um, I had was right before COVID uh, when it was my first semester full-time as a literature instructor um, was when we talked about this chapter in Moby Dick um, where it talks about a monkey wrench and a monkey wrench works with two people using it. Uh, and essentially to make a long story short, they use this device to um, get the sperm out of the whale's mouth. And so one person had to uh, be holding steady on the ship and the other person would walk down um, the, I guess the mouth of the, of the big fish. And so I, I use this because this is really an allegory of how all of us are connected and how most of the time our actions, whether or not we realize it, affect other people. And so if two of us are on this monkey wrench and one of us moves quickly, it's going to affect another person. And while I was explaining that, um, and while we did discussions about it, and I was able to read their reaction papers, a lot of these prisoners got very personal with me and told me that they did not at all realize how much their life and their actions affect everyone around them, right? 
it may not seem as obvious at first. And, it, you know, for most of us, it isn't. But at the end of the day, our actions have immense consequences and missteps that we may have can have long lasting effects on not only potential victims or people in our community, but our own families. Right. I can't tell you how many times I read papers of of inmates regretting doing this to their families, because these are these are families without a husband. These are families without a father. Um, these are. These are people that because of their choices um, are, I'm not going to see them for many years. And that, and time is the one thing we don't get back. And again, realizing that our actions, right, are intricately attached to other people is something very valuable that, that really they resonated with. It is a powerful thing, no doubt about it. And, you know, one of the things that most people wouldn't know about, uh, and, and you were, I think, beginning to, to hit on this, Daniel, is the fact that the, uh, the effect of those actions, you know, from that image from, from Melville um, has a ripple effect. So people in the community are affected, sadly, adversely, tragically by their actions. But, but you know, the converse is true, too. So as they begin to appropriate the, these, these great ideas you're imparting to them you know, through your literature class, no doubt about it, you probably have heard stories that even behavior behind the scenes there at South Bay is having, this program is having a positive impact even on, on behavior right behind the scenes. And so you've been working too to gather some data, to begin gathering metrics, to start showing how what they call disciplinary reports are actually decreasing because of the civics program. Could you maybe share with us a little bit more about some of the info, some of the data that you've, uh, you've discovered in your research? Right, so um, on the more uh, quantitative side, uh, Jim and I in, in the program, we really wanted to measure quantitatively um, how the program has affected not only the lives of prisoners outside of prison, but within the walls of South Bay, right? How our um, our mission to give them a civic education, how has that affected the environment in prison? And it's had an incredibly positive impact, right? We've seen that the average number of disciplinary reports uh, from the students in the program to those without are night and day, right? Our guys are not getting in trouble for, um, for common offenses like smuggling in drugs or using cell phones or disrespecting an officer, right? The typical offenses that most um, correctional institutions have, right? So sadly, and, and interestingly, we do have quite a bit of, of students who are in there with life sentences. And the reason that they stay and the reason why they, it's important that we teach them is because they're going to be in that prison. And we need these prisons to be um, not vehicles of destruction, but more vehicles of rehabilitation and places of um, where they can think about their actions. And our program has actually had an effect um, in making the lives of people in that prison a little bit better. Um, and, and I think this is a, a roadmap for other correctional institutions because it's, you know, it's a universal curriculum and, and it applies well throughout. So again, through our qualitative analysis, we noticed that the people in the program did not commit nearly as many offenses as others without. And we found that the overall number of DR 
reports within the prison substantially decreased. So not only are they behaving better, but they are affecting the environment for those in the program and those not in the program. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I think uh, the final number we came up with from that first you know, iteration of data collection was, what, like eight out of 10 prisoners that completed all four courses had zero DRs, disciplinary reports in that period of time. So in that three year period of time. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's um, it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. Daniel, you have plans to stay on, right, and continue to help us with our program. Where are you guys now in the current literature class as you're reading through Tocqueville? If you could maybe share with our listeners kind of where you are. Are you at, towards the end of the semester? You get it, you know, kind of in the middle or what's going on right now with Tocqueville? Right. So um, we're towards the end and we're at the point where I'm constantly reviewing the major themes of democracy in America um, by Alexis de Tocqueville. Uh, we touch on a lot of themes like the tyranny of the majority, right, which is very a, a massive centerpiece to um, our formulation of our government is this fear of the tyranny of the majority, right? De Tocqueville speaks that a lot of times the majority can be as authoritarian and as despotic as a king or an autocrat. Um, and so I challenge them to think about how that affects criminal justice reform. And we talk a lot about how um, decisions made at the democratic level have adversely affected their lives, right? In, in aspects of society where um, certain individuals are voted in with, based on a popular consensus um, has really stripped away a lot of opportunities for inmates. And so they, we really like to get into examples of that um, on the tyranny of the majority, right? We also talk about the formulation of our constitution and what de Tocqueville thinks of um, the majority, what he thinks about America at the time. Um, I love to make uh, comparisons from America and, you know, 1828 to America in 2021. Um, and a lot of the things that we see in democracy in America still occur today, still resonate with them today. Um, and having them not only realize that and receive lectures from me, but having them decipher what at times can be a difficult text. Um, and I think that in and of itself is a great value. Okay. Being able to, to read at a high level and to comprehend a difficult material um, is something that is incredibly beneficial, even to my students of, you know, middle to older ages. Um, I think they gain a lot from really striving to understand a text and being able to comprehend um, difficult phrases because it will be beneficial to them in the long run. Um, no doubt about it. And uh, as you say, you, we bring in uh, great resources, great, great instructors like yourself, we, we want them to rise to the challenge. They do. Uh, and uh, Daniel, without you, without your support and without really your commitment and dedication to them, there's no way we'd be able to pull off, um, you know, the civics education program without that. So just want you to know how thankful we are you know, bending bars, man, for, for what you do, for the commitment of your time and for the life changing knowledge you are imparting to so many people every single year. Thank you so much, Daniel. I appreciate that. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. And thanks so much for joining us today on uh, the Bending Bars podcast. Uh, wonderful having Daniel Camacho with us, our civics education program liter literature instructor. 
Um, Harrison, thanks so much for joining me as co-host as we kick off season two of the Bending Bars podcast. And we'll look forward to seeing everybody on our next episode. Thanks. So yeah, much. this was fun. Day. I, I want to touch on one thing real quick before yeah. we leave. If anybody out there is interested more in this program, we really would like you to go visit bendingbars.org. Bendingbars.org. If you go there, you can get all the information. You can get the podcast, the documentaries. You can get the testimonials. You can donate money. You can volunteer. Bendingbars.org. Absolutely. I want to sing Harrison's praises here right at the very end because he was the man behind it all. He made that website a reality, and it is absolutely magnificent. A great resource Thank you, sir. for Bending Bars and for our mission. So thanks so much, guys. Thanks for joining us today. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time.